Hi, everybody. Thank you for watching and listening. A special shout out to Aldergrove, our campus, and thank you for tuning in and coming and uh, being uh, there, present. So uh, here we are. We're beginning a brand new series, and we've entitled this series, How Does God Grow Your Faith? Well, I think everybody understands that all living things grow. It is a primary characteristic of life, like all things adapt, all things, living things reproduce, all things change with their environment. But here's this fundamental idea that if your faith is alive, it will be growing. Well, I know it makes my grass grow. I know it needs some sunshine. I know it needs some water. I need, know it needs potassium and phosphorus and nitrogen, you know, those ingredients that are on the bags of fertilizer. I know that'll cause my grow, grass to grow, but, and, and I, I know what makes people grow. You have to feed people. <laughs> you certainly find that with children. They, they take up a lot of our resources, but they, you feed them and they grow. But what causes your faith to grow? What causes you to mature? What causes you to become more Christ-like? What causes you to um, become the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be? Well, we're going to learn in this series that there are at least seven things that cause our faith to grow. And that's what this series is about. And this first one is simply this. When the Word of God lives in us, our faith will grow. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand how our faith grows and to cooperate with that growth in our lives. We thank you that we have a living faith. We thank you that uh, it's dynamic in our lives, as your word is dynamic in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, cooperate and to understand that the, the circumstances of our lives and, and what's happening in our lives are, are largely because you're wanting us to grow and to mature and to become the people of God that you want us to be. So Lord, I pray that you would use this text today. Speak deeply into our lives. May the word of God richly dwell in us. In your name, amen. This text identifies a major theme in my pastoral ministry over the past 40 years. I love this text. Now, as most of you probably know, I'm stepping away from the lead pastor role at CLCC over the next year or so. About a year from now, I'll be semi-retired and preaching once a month here at CLCC and continuing on and teaching and doing some things like that. Uh, this has been a four-year process of preparing to hand over the lead pastor role, and the leadership team, our leadership council and senior staff, have been involved with this for, uh, well, for about four years. Our leadership team consists of our leadership council, our elected and appointed officials, and also our senior staff, which would be our longest tenured staff here at CLCC. We have been praying and considering how to do this well. Uh, we hired Pastor Troy as an associate pastor and entered into a discernment process to see if he would be a good fit for CLCC. 
And I'm pleased to say that the Leadership Council, the team, is recommending that we elect Troy as the new lead pastor, which would take effect in January 2023. In the meantime, I'll be mentoring and working with Troy to give him a great start. Now, more information about this is on our webpage. Just click on Succession at CLCC, and you'll see frequently asked questions and a longer uh, discussion of uh, what we've been up to in regard to succession and the leadership here at CLCC. We'll also have a town hall meeting for questions and answers. This will be on May 15th at 6 p.m. And every, if you consider CLCC your church home, we welcome you to come. And we're doing it here at Creekside in the main gathering space, 6 p.m., May 15th. So our text today has been a theme of, of my preaching here at CLCC over the past 30 years. And I really identify what this text is saying. How does God grow your faith? Well, when the word of Christ richly dwells in us. This is an unusual phrase for our text to be saying the word of Christ. I don't know if you caught that or not, because the usual phrase is the word of God. But this is the word of Christ. Uh, this refers to the teaching of Jesus or the message of the gospel or the new covenant. Uh, if he was using the phrase the word of God, he would be referring to all of scripture from the book of Genesis right through the old covenant, right through the Old Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. But because he's using the word of Christ, we really believe he's referring to the New Testament, to particularly the gospels or the teaching that came out of Jesus, particularly we think of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus taught the disciples the, the parameters or, or what it really means to be defined as a follower of Jesus. It tells us that his word needs to richly dwell in us. Think about that for a moment, richly dwell. What does that mean? Well, it means that the word of God has ample room in us, that we give it space, that we don't crowd it out with, with all kinds of other teachings or all kinds of other thoughts or all kinds of other worldviews, but we, we give it space. We don't, we don't bar any of the rooms of our heart or the rooms of our lives. We, we let it have freedom. Uh, another way to say it is that the Word of God would be deeply implanted in us so that it controls our thinking. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, that the word of God would have the run of the house, freedom to move through our entire lives and instruct us and correct us and uh, enable us to be all that Jesus would have us to be. It says that when the word dwells in us richly, we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That's verse 16. Teach and admonish. That means that we instruct and direct. Admonish means it goes past just verbal instruction. Uh, directing means that we actually help people carry out what they have been taught. And notice that it says this is about one another. This is about not about pastors preaching, but this is about one another in the body of Christ, allowing the word of God to be used to instruct, to help, to direct, to encourage one another. Uh, so this is not uh, about preaching. This is about living out the gospel in community. Now, I think the word of Christ is to the body of Christ what the immune system 
is to our physical bodies. Now, we've learned a lot about the immune system in these last couple of years as, as we've talked so much about COVID and vaccinations and, and, uh, and uh, viruses and all the rest. And I'm sure that we're all pretty well fed up with all that information. But, uh, but I think what, what the apostle is telling us here is that the word of God, when we allow the word of God into our lives, it protects us against the diseases of the world, against materialism, against selfishness, against uh, anger, and, and, and against bitterness, and, and all those things that are soul-destroying. When we allow the Word of God to live in us, to dwell in us richly, it inoculates us, it vaccinates us against the, the many diseases that the world and the flesh and the devil would love to infect us with. And, 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 and this is so true. When the Word of God dwells richly in the community of faith, they're a healthy group of believers. When the Word dwells, the word dwells in us, it goes on to say, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in our hearts. Isn't that interesting? When the Word of God dwells in us richly, what comes out of us is singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, psalms is probably a reference to the Jewish hymns of the book of Psalms, the, the Jewish Psalter. This is the, the group of uh, poems that were set to music that the Jewish people sang, and, and Jewish people were a singing group. They sang a lot. They sang on the way to the temple. They sang in the temple. Uh, they sang... Uh, these psalms which reminded them about the character of God and God's goodness, and at times even reminded them about their own frustration with, with life and the challenges of life. But not only were we singing psalms, it seems hymn, it says hymns and spiritual songs. These are uniquely Christian. Hymns are Christian songs of praise to God. Hymns generally are defined as those songs which talk about the character of God. They extol God's mercy or his grace or his power or his uh, life-giving abilities and, and his, his uh, uh, goodness towards us. But the third category is spiritual songs. That's a little bit different. Uh, it's understood that these are expressions of the work of God among us and not so much a description of who God is, but a description of how God is working, not only historically, but currently. And when it says spiritual songs, it, it usually, I think, refers to the fact that these are contemporary. These are current. These are things that God is doing in our lives today. And so we have uh, not only songs that uh, talk about God's character, we have songs that really are testimonies of how God is working among us, expressions of the work of God. So uh, it's not just about who God is, but about what God is doing. And so when the word of God dwells in us, when we allow the word of God to penetrate us deeply, to, to be grounded in us, it ends up with these expressions of praise and song. Now, Jews sung a lot. I mentioned that earlier, but Christians also sing a lot. Maybe you've noticed that. In fact, one of the earliest descriptions of Christianity way back in the first century was the Pliny, the Roman emperor of Bithynia was reporting to Trajan 
the Roman emperor about Christianity. Of course, the Roman emperor was curious, you know, who, who, what is this group that's spreading all across uh, the Roman Empire and, and seems to have captured so many people's hearts? And so this, uh, the governor is writing to him, trying to describe who these people are. And he says this, he says that they meet at dawn to sing a hymn to Christ as God. And so one of the first earliest descriptors of who Christians were is that they're a group of people who sing a lot about Christ as God. And that was, that was quite astounding to the governor and probably quite astounding to the Roman emperor. But singing has always been a big part of Christian worship right from the very beginning to today. Music is remarkable in that it's not contained in a single area of our brain, but the music and melody seems to be contained in our brains in many different places. One of the reasons, the ways that they discovered this is that they found that people who are suffering from dementia or uh, some brain trauma or brain disease often are able to sing and remember melodies even though they can't communicate by talking. In fact, I heard one story of a, of a fellow who sang in a quartet who, after he had been fairly well along in, in his uh, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, the progress of Alzheimer's in his life, and he couldn't speak, and he, but he could still sing his part in the quartet, which was quite amazing. And they discovered that although some parts of your brain may be damaged, because music is found in different locations in your brain, uh, those healthy parts of your brain are still able to retain and recall music. And I think that's one of, one of the wonderful things about Christian singing, is that through our singing, it's, it's a whole brain kind of experience. It's, it's not contained in just one part, but it's a whole brain experience. And so that when we are uh, uh, going through life and in, in uh, going through all different circumstances of our life, maybe going through trauma or going through difficulties, music will pop into our brains and, and we'll be able to sing songs of praise to God. And, and I think this is delightful and certainly a way to uh, remember who Jesus is. Verse 17 goes on to say, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in whatever you do, it's saying. Now, in Christianity, there's no rule book. Judaism, Judaism had a rule book. The Jews had a rule. They had, they had the Ten Commandments, and then they had all of these offshoots, these, these descriptions, descriptors of the Ten Commandments that went on for volumes and volumes of minutiae detail of what they could do and what they couldn't do in order to follow all the rules of God. Christianity is different. We don't have a rule book. Instead, we have principles. The principles are to love God and to love our neighbor. The principle here is that whatever we do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In fact, we are then to understand that whatever we do, whatever we say, we are to apply a test to it. Is this truly reflecting who Jesus is? Is, is this represent Jesus, representing Jesus well? Because that's what it means to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is it truly giving thanks to him to God. So we need to test our behavior with the presence of Jesus. Is what I'm saying, is what I'm doing, really reflecting the presence of Jesus in my life, the living Word of God in me? 
Or is it rather something that would be more fitting for someone who doesn't know the Lord, who, who doesn't care about who Jesus is or the reputation of Jesus in the world and in our community? You see, when we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us, with wisdom we instruct and direct one another. It controls our thinking. We sing with gratitude in our hearts. And that gratitude and that joy is contagious. And, and as one of the wonderful things that I hear quite often is that when, when people who don't know the Lord come into a church gathering and the people of God are singing, uh, people who don't know the Lord say, I, I feel something. There's something different about being here, uh, about being in the presence of your song. And I think it's the, the contagion that comes from the people of God worshiping and, and talking about who God is and, and talking about what he's done. It, it's felt not only by the believers, but even unbelievers, even people who are, who are foreign or uh, brand new to the faith feel that expression of who God is. Joy, gratitude is contagious. And we learned then to represent Jesus well. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know that your word is essential for our growth in faith. We pray that we would allow it to dwell in us, to be grounded in us, to have the freedom to take over, to control our thinking and our behavior. I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to expose ourselves to the Word of God, that, that we wouldn't just listen on Sunday mornings, but through the week, Lord, I pray that we would be thinking about the Word of God, that we would allow the Word of God to have room in us so that we could grow in our faith. Thank you, Lord, that you, by your Word of God, enable us to encourage and challenge and direct and teach one another and you allow us then to sing songs of praise with gratitudes in our heart, gratitude in our hearts to God. Thank you, God, for your great, great love for us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you are growing our faith. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have a question of the day for you. It's this. In what ways do you promote the word of Christ to live in you? What are you doing to promote the Word of God to dwell in you? Would you think about that and pray about that over the next few minutes? I'll come back with a concluding comment.
In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. In other words, the word of God, when he says it, it happened. Light comes through the word of God. And and that's a good thing, isn't it? When the word of God comes into us, he brings light. Who wouldn't want light in their lives? I mean, so much of this world is in darkness. So much of, of what we experience uh, is, is like the twilight zone. It, it's, it's dusk. It's, it's despairing. It's, it's awful. Uh, much of our experience in this life, we see all kinds of sadness all around us. The Word of God brings light to us. Who wouldn't want that light to invade their, their lives, their, their minds, their hearts, their, their emotions, their, their way of thinking? The Word of God brings light. So we need to allow that Word of God to bring that light to us. Later on in the Genesis story, in the creation story, it says, He breathes into man the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, the apostle picks this up when he's talking to young Timothy. He says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you get that? Just as God says, let there be light, and light comes into the world, and light comes into our lives through the Word of God, just as He says that, and and it says as well that His Spirit is hovering over the waters of creation, we have this understanding then that He breathes through the Word of God into our lives. So this breath of God not only is at creation, uh, not only does it bring light and life, this breath of God comes through the Word of God into us. He breathes into us life through His Word. I think that's a wonderful illustration of what He's doing in our lives. He says it's useful for teaching, it's useful for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the breath of God The Word of God is breathed into us when we pay attention to it. It creates life. It creates light. It creates understanding and instruction. It creates correction and training so that we will grow up and mature and become thoroughly equipped to do every good work. I think that's a wonderful promise to us, that when we open ourselves up to the Word of God, we are going to receive this wonderful transforming power of the Lord so that we're equipped, so that we become mature as followers of Jesus. Well, in what ways are you allowing the Word of God to richly dwell in you? Here's a couple of ideas. One way would be to get a Bible app on your phone and uh, listen to the Word of God as you drive, perhaps as you commute. Another way to allow the Word to richly dwell in us is to memorize key passages of Scripture. I think that really helps to uh, allow the Word of God to richly dwell in us. Here's another way. Uh, Learn Scripture songs. Many of our songs and choruses are based on Scripture. Learn them and sing them yourself, not just in church, but sing them yourself. This, again, reinforces the Word of God into our lives and allows it to control our thinking, control our emotions. 
passage of scripture for doxology for this series is found in Jude chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.